watchers in the fourth dimension. And welcome to the holiday bonus episode of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Julie. I'm Don. I'm Anthony. And I'm Riley. And this time it's for a brand new type of Christmas special. That's right. I'm your host this time, which means that I was able to take over as kidnapper for the day. <laughs> as you know, my co-hosts have been introducing me to horror films with our yearly Halloween special. So I decided to introduce the crew to the world of Hallmark-esque Christmas movies. Make it stop. <laughs> As I was researching the Scottish holiday film Lost at Christmas, which we will be covering, I found that there was much more to it than one would think out of a holiday rom-com. Back in 2015, Scottish filmmaker Ryan Hendrick wrote and directed the short film Perfect Strangers. It actually won several awards at film festivals and kept being requested time and time again. So as the years went on and as the production company Magic Monkey Films looked to expand into feature length films, the team kept going back to Perfect Strangers and decided to expand upon that story. Production started in September of 2019 after a difficult campaign to raise funds and filming was started and completed in January of 2020. In fact, all of the filming was completed in 12 days, in which only 48 hours were allotted for the full <laughs> cast scenes due to the availability of the actors. <laughs> yes. Obviously, as the film went into post-production, they encountered COVID, but luckily they were able to have its premiere on the 26th of November in 2020 at the Highland Cinema in Fort William and in theaters on the 4th of December in 2020. As for our crew, Ryan Hendrick is the writer and director he is a lifelong Doctor Who fan who wrote, produced, and acted in the fan film Doctor Who Besieged. He played the Doctor, and our two leads from Lost at Christmas, Natalie Clark and Kenny Boyle, also starred in this film. And Hendrick often went to Doctor Who conventions, which is where he was introduced to Sylvester McCoy and Fraser Hines. We also have a writer in Claire Shepard. She's also worked on several of Hendrick's work, including Perfect Strangers and Sundown. The composer is Stephen Wright. He's mainly just done a lot of various Scottish short films. It's an indie film. No one's going to know what any of these people have done. <laughs> now, there are three actors in this film that have been part of Doctor Who World. Obviously, Sylvester McCoy as the Seventh Doctor, Fraser Hines as my favorite companion, Jamie McCrimmon, and Caitlin Blackwood as a young Amy Pond. But with that, I know we're just really anxious to dive right in. So to get things started, as we often ask in these type of things, what are your experiences with just rom-coms in general? And what did you expect going into this movie? Well, I will take it. I have a lot of experience watching rom-coms because I have no issue or problems with rom-coms. Some of them are good. Some of them I find not so good and almost kind of strange how we look at them and see the behavior that is being depicted as being normal when oftentimes it is seen as completely insane. I'm looking at you, <laughs> Sleepless in Seattle or... How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Those are perfect examples. I was going to say, Riley, so you've seen Love Actually. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Love Actually, another example of that. My expectations were I had no idea where this was going to go. I was expecting one thing, it to be uplifting. This is an incredibly depressing movie. 
this is really depressing. It should be you should be given a revolver that only has three bullets in it and like just a bottle of whiskey when you watch this. That's kind of the feel they have going on here. So not at all what I was expecting from a rom-com at all. Not a whole lot of rom, not a whole lot of com. Yeah, my experience of rom-coms is I watch them when any of my girlfriends, current or previous, have made me watch them, which happens quite a lot. Love Actually, I think, is the only one I have watched of my own free will and volition. Oh, and Four Weddings and a Funeral. And yeah, good one. I like both of them. I realize everyone in Love Actually is a terrible person, but I still kind of enjoy <laughs> the movie. Agreed. I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, overall, some experience with rom-coms. I do agree with Don. There's not a lot of rom in this one and not much com either. That's fair. Yeah, there's a few funny moments, but overall, it's a bit of a downer. Yeah, it really is just more of a drama. And at one point, I was kind of wondering... Why parade around like you're a romantic comedy? Just be a drama. Just go for it. Mm -hmm. In fact, the only part I found myself laughing at was how supremely awkward the little kid was. <laughs> <laughs> Love that little kid. This was an interesting one. It does fit into, I think, closer to what once was than anything. If you've seen that movie, it's also an indie film. It's also an example where it's two people meet and they have a connection. But then at the end of the film, they go their separate ways. So that's kind of the movie that I think that it mirrors most. And that's definitely not a rom-com, even though, yes, there are some funny moments. And a part of you is sitting there thinking that, oh, it should be a romantic movie. But you find out that it's really not. I was halfway expecting near the end where she's gone off on her walk, which is suddenly a big dramatic deal. And he goes after her. I was waiting for them to embrace, and then they have their drone. It's going to transition. There's their bodies <laughs> being found three weeks later. <laughs> like, okay, that's where you're going to go. But they didn't. Uh, it's almost like the movie takes a perverse enjoyment and completely just crushing the soul out of our female character. At the beginning, mm -hmm. I thought they were going to do it like how she was dressed and how she was acting in the very beginning. I thought like, oh, okay, this is our character. She's going to be ditzy, super happy kind of character that's just always joyous. And she is kind of like that. But then as the film progresses, not only do bad things happen to her, but then she is surrounded by other people who have had horrible things happen as well. And they just take out the knives and just start stabbing her soul repeatedly. Yeah, <laughs> she's not the manic pixie dream girl you're expecting at the beginning. Because you think, right. oh, she's all perky and happy and yeah. she's going to teach Rob the true meaning of Christmas and blah, blah, blah. Which in this is apparently, okay, we're all depressed. Let's have sex and then go our separate <laughs> ways. Rob is going to teach her, he's going to teach her Nietzsche is what he's doing. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Honestly, though, Don, the whole we're all depressed, let's have sex is a much more realistic depiction of life than I agree. any of the rom-coms that Riley mentioned. It's just not <laughs> something that you usually see presented within a romantic comedy, air quotes. Which, out of our three possible titles, I think that was the best one. It's Perfect Strangers being two, because you can call back to the 90s sitcom. <laughs> Lost at Christmas is the third best out of the three that could have been. Yeah, that's totally fair. I did want to talk about how utterly unlikable both of our main characters are. <laughs> yes. One of my questions was going to be, what do you think of them? And were they convincing and relatable? Or were they just terrible people? I was fully behind Jen until she stole her ex slash love rat's car, at which point I was like, uh, okay, just because he turns out to be an asshole, it doesn't mean you get to go on a crime spree. <laughs> 
And that never came up again later. They never resolved that plot. Yeah. <laughs> a part of me somewhat agrees with you, Anthony, but then the very vindictive part of me after going through very terrible online dating situations, I can kind of sympathize with her a little bit. Yep, but I mean, even in all of those online dating situations, would you steal one of their cars, Julie? Would you? I probably have the nicest car out of all of them, so yeah, no. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's not very hard of a denial, though. The My car that I have now is better, so no thank you, is more of what she said. I will allow it because the film needed something to really give it some sort of action, some sort of energy, because outside of that... We're just stuck in that B&B, the utterly most depressing B&B that I could ever think of. It's just, oh boy, yeah. It's like you come in there for to, to get some Scottish whiskey and an existential crisis when you come into there. I kind of liked that setting, though. Yeah. I liked the bartender. He was a good character, mm -hmm. and you, of course, have the Who connection there with them being funny and basically playing themselves, if you've ever met them at a bar at Con. And that was nice. I almost would have liked to have seen more of the individual characters. Yeah, that's a good to try point. To flesh that out. They could have leaned in more on that because at one point I was thinking, damn, why couldn't we have done this like as quick as possible, get to know them more and get them really like closed in, like make it like the thing where, or, uh, <laughs> I don't know, but you've got a premise there. The thing yeah. meets new heart. <laughs> yeah. But no, just the idea of like a, a bottle episode, so to speak, where you really just focus on the characters. And isn't it Kimmy? I can't think of that Tarantino film where they're all stuck in a cabin. Riley. They rented a drone. They had to use it. That's like true. the first half an hour of the movie. Speaking of unlikely film connections, the one that stuck out to me because someone already mentioned plot lines being just dropped and never resolved, The Room. <laughs> Oddly enough, I thought of that when she goes to that store at the very beginning. As the scene played, I went, you're my favorite customer, as she left because it just kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Oh, hi, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the side characters, what did you think of the use? We'll focus a little bit on Sylvester McCoy and Frasier, but also Caitlin Blackwood. I thought Sylvester and Frasier were perfect as a couple of lushes in the corner. I do wish Frasier had more to say. It was Sylvester mm -hmm. who did most of the talking on the two of them. But I did enjoy having them on screen and being drunks in the corner. They played the part spectacularly. I liked it when he confessed to putting the orange in the toilet. That was a genuine <laughs> laugh. Oh, God, I just snorted. <laughs> and don't forget, Sylvester McCoy gets our big dramatic moment. He's our person who talks to her right before our big climactic scene of them really connecting in the woods. And also the Tarantino movie was called The Hateful Eight. I do like he gets that line of pain isn't a competition. Yeah. There are a few hidden gems in here where some of the things that are happening, it's like, this is actually pretty real, but I wish there was more of that. I mean, in all fairness, as I was talking about romantic comics before and how they're being very unrealistic and how people act in that they act insane. Everyone here, even though they're miserable and they're depressed, they're actually very realistic in their depression. They are. <laughs> and in their miserableness. And so at least that's something that is accurate that's being depicted, that the emotional conflicts they're feeling feel real. It's not some contrived nonsense or to make another reference to a romantic comedy where things that are being depicted are, aren't things you should do that only crazy people do. I'm talking about, God, I love the movie, but Say Anything, John Cusack, pulling up a boombox from someone's house that has broken up with you in the middle of the night, that's not endearing. That's stalker behavior. 
Yes, yeah. absolutely. Sorry, Louis Dobler. I'm sorry. I love you, but that was creepy. <laughs> One thing that just like, I don't know where time went, but Caitlin Blackwood playing a teenager and she was a teenager when this was filmed. And I was like, how in the world is she still a teenager when Doctor Who didn't, didn't that come out a long time ago? My mind is just very bizarre on like, I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> it was awkward to see her somewhat grown up, but not really. When was this filmed? I know it was released in 2020. Was it 2019 that it was filmed? It was filmed January 2020. And remember, they've only filmed it over 12 days and keeping in line with the Christmas theme. So she was 19 when this was filmed. So just yes. still a teenager. But yes. Yeah. I still feel like she should be older just because it seems like Matt Smith was so far away. <laughs> I don't know. It was only 10 years before this. So, you know, she would have been eight or nine when she recorded with Matt Smith. What I'm saying is it feels like more than 10 years. It does. <laughs> One thing that's interesting is this was based off of a short film. Do you think that they fledged it? Obviously, we didn't watch the short, but do you think that this feels like it was fledged out enough? Or do you think that they could have done more with it? I think it was enough. In fact, I think they could have cut about 10 minutes from the <laughs> runtime. I'm not saying it should be longer, but substance wise, maybe. Uh, maybe it seemed like the people in the, the B&B, they seem to change pretty quickly. Like, oh, she went out for a walk. Oh, my God, we've got to make Christmas dinner. Like, oh, OK, <laughs> I almost like Don's idea of an even bleaker ending. of Just <laughs> finding them out there in the wastelands. Well, funny enough, the first day that they tried to film that, it was actually like really, really bad weather and they had to cut filming. So maybe if they just kept filming in the bad weather, they might have gotten that ending. <laughs> you get your, you know, frozen corpses in the snow. I do agree with that. I mean, I think the point's been made well enough. We could have done with more on the characters in the B&B. Because I feel like we had a great opportunity to learn more about the character who lost her wife and she was a chef. To me, I feel like that just completely just was thrown at me like right at the very end and then dealt with for like one scene and in, in her in the hallway. And then all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to help make everyone Christmas dinner. I, was, I, I would like to have gone on your journey a little bit. I'd like to have known you before <laughs> being shoehorned in the third act. I mean, just give me something in the beginning. And that's why I think maybe just I feel like all of that beginning could have been condensed. Just get them to the B&B as quick as possible and then put all your time there and let the other characters come alive. Do that instead of dealing with that silly little boy that she has to talk to and the car, all of that could be avoided. We could have other ways of getting them to that B&B. Yeah, just make it the only place that has a room in the town and there's no trains out and there you yeah. go. You did touch on the chef lady, very well played by Claire Grogan for what we did get of her. And Claire Grogan was Kachansky in the first few seasons of Red Dwarf. And I thought she looked great here. She's mm -hmm. late 50s when this was made. And candidly, she really had that sexy headmistress vibe <laughs> going on. Hey, Anthony. Just putting it out there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't had any you know, comments from Julie about the Scottish guy yet. So, you know, I'm just getting the sexual yeah. energy of this yeah. show out there early. Yeah, except no. Oh. No, not, not this time. <laughs> I am honestly shocked. <laughs> Just the fact that someone is Scottish is not enough. I love the fact that both Sylvester and Fraser donned the Highland accent again. And I watched the documentary on this. They were talking about it and it was like, well, it means that we're going to get more screen time because it just takes longer to say words. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. 
So the inevitable American remake with Melissa Joan Hart and Mario Lopez will be oh, significantly God. shorter. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> My other favorite thing was that during the interviews, Sylvester McCoy was laying down on a couch the entire time. <laughs> I don't know why. Just laying down. It's fine. It's Sylvester McCoy. He can do whatever he wants. Because he's an absolute mad lad. <laughs> <laughs> I know we talked about a few things, but do you have any like favorite and or least favorite parts of the film? You know, we made a lot of fun about all the drone shots, but yes. I will give some credit to how they shot the ending with them partying. And also the shots of them in bed were actually well lit. The lighting was interesting. How they were composed was interesting. And just the fact that once again, <laughs> getting back to the fact that this is not an upbeat or cheerful movie. Usually when our two lovers eventually get together in a rom-com, it's a joyous moment. Here, there's a passion at the beginning, and then it's just these somber looks <laughs> out into the distance in this blue light from the moon or from the street light. It's just, that was well shot. Least favorite, I think you asked least favorite, probably the little boy. Not precocious, not funny. I'd be surprised he was actually a real actor. It was probably just somebody's wow. brother or cousin or something. Riley hates children. You heard it here. <laughs> I'm fine with that. That's not a lie. You can put that out there. Yeah, I think overall, I would agree. I really enjoyed that ending shot as their parting ways. And the fact that they both kind of pause as if they're both at the same time thinking of turning around and then neither one does and they just walk off. That wasn't what I was expecting. And I really, really enjoyed how they subverted my expectations there. Least favorite? I don't know, just anything of them yelling at each other from the moment they get into the car. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I admit, I like the fact that the ending wasn't your standard cliche, oh, we're together now, rom-com ending. Because frankly, if you're both coming together after breakups like that, your relationship is not going to last. <laughs> so I was glad they just accepted mm -hmm. it for what it was. But there's a possibility of them getting together after they've healed. I like that. As far as least favorite, I don't know. Yeah, I made fun of the drone shots, but it was a way to give a very inexpensive movie a little bit of money on the screen to try and show where everything was. But for the most part, it was well shot. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to complain too much. And I thought some of the stuff with the kid was funny. I probably would have cut out the stuff in the closet and just had him at the door. Then it was all right. But maybe that went on a little too long. It's really funny. You guys keep mentioning that end shot where you don't get that stereotypical ending because they always plan for this ending. They did, in fact, film the stereotypical hallmark. Oh, we end up happy together ending. But they really didn't want to show it to anybody because they were like, this really isn't how this should end. So they shot it, but they've actually never had to show it to anybody because when they showed them this ending, executives actually agreed, which hmm. is pretty surprising, actually. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It definitely is something that allows this movie to stand out, not it just will follow a long line of everyone doing that same type of thing. So that's good. Now, I did watch the little panels that they had on YouTube from the promo of this, and I did like the idea that maybe a year later they both independently decide to go back to that B&B and rekindle things. It's the sequel. <laughs> it's the sequel no one is asking for or wants. Found at Christmas. <laughs> oh, boy. I didn't have a least favorite part. I am kind of in the boat that all the stuff in the car could have been condensed down, but I think that's mainly it. I don't think there was anything that was so egregiously bad that I can call it really a least favorite. It was an interesting watch. 
I think I really have like one more main question. And that is, as we talked about, the director of this did write and produce Doctor Who Besieged, and he played the Doctor. So after watching this, would you be willing to watch (laughs) that Doctor Who fan-made film? Is the Doctor (laughs) trapped in a bed and breakfast? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's Anthony. I will agree with Anthony on that. But after we get through this question, I have a question for you, Julie. Okay, Don. You know what? I probably would. I don't think it was poorly directed, but fan films are often unintentionally cringy. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I would give it a shot because I don't think this was made by untalented people. And that's exactly why I would not watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I probably would watch it. I've watched a few other fan-based ones and yes there might be some cringe elements to it but after watching some of the documentary stuff the people endeared me people who made this were just like oh okay i like you so i would give it a shot all right riley so yeah i have a question for you (laughs) what the hell was the music in this movie I'm not just talking about and the music itself. I'm talking about the lyrics. Oh, I couldn't oh understand. I mean, and, and I'm not talking about like, oh, I can't understand the accent. Oh, I understood. I had closed caption on. I saw what they were saying, and it still didn't make any damn sense. <laughs> like in the car, when she's in the car, there's a Christmas song, a Christmas song that has the line, "All your heroes are dead" as the yes. refrain. What the? Yes. What is that? What does that even mean? What are they trying to say? And that doesn't even include the the song in the B and B with the house band. The rolling in the hay with Jesus. Yeah, ro- yeah, like yeah, stealing yeah. Jesus back from somebody. What? What? What is happening here? It was Jesus wants you to have my baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> God. So as for the one in the very beginning, I think there is music out there that's I'll call it anti Christmas because when some of your lyrics are someone shot Rudolph because they thought he was a drone. Okay. <laughs> someone got coal in their stocking when they were two years old and has never forgiven santa i i don't know it was so bizarre it was funny because i liked that there were a lot of scenes that they chose not to have music playing and so it made you focus in on what the characters were saying so i thought that was an interesting choice but you're right the choices of songs lyrics were something else yeah i didn't know if this like just a scottish thing that I'm not aware of about Christmas. Like there's Scottish pop songs, Christmas pop songs that have this kind of flair to them because they just utterly bizarre. I don't know if it's a Scottish thing. I know there's definitely stuff out there, but I can't speak specifically on Scottish things because I really haven't watched that many Scottish Christmas movies or listened to a lot of Scottish Christmas songs. Sorry. Is this a genre we were previously unaware of? (laughs) A Scottish (laughs) Christmas film? And I'm not dissing on you, Scotland. I love you, Scotland. I loved you when I visited you and I'd love to go back. But if that is how your Christmas music is, you can keep it. But other than that, I love you. Before we're done, we're going to not rate this because there's not a lot of good things to rate out of, let's be honest. But would you recommend this, especially for those people who enjoy Doctor Who and might want to see some Doctor Who actors in something that's not science fiction? No. (laughs) I would say for the Doctor Who element, no. If you really want to see one of the most bizarre toned Christmas movies. Cause that's the other thing we didn't really talk about. We looked at it from a romantic comedy point of view. We didn't really look at it from a Christmas view and from a Christmas view, this movie is utterly depressing from that point of view as well. It's even darker than the night the reindeer died. 
I know. And with a lot less action. That's true. (laughs) But I would just recommend it because it's such a curiosity. And if you're unentertained with how bizarre it is and with its tone, just sit back and enjoy all the beautiful Scottish landscape repeatedly. I can agree with that. I don't think this is a bad film. It's not necessarily a film I would choose or pick out. But aside from the classics, I don't watch a lot of new Christmas movies or romantic comedies. I don't think I'm the target audience. At the same time, I like the fact that they didn't stick to the standard rom-com cliches. This is essentially a movie about holiday depression, and that's interesting. I'm kind of in the same boat as Riley and Don. I would recommend it from not a Doctor Who aspect or even a rom-com aspect. This is definitely, if you're wanting to become happy, do not watch this film. (laughs) Don't be like us. There's still hope left for you. But I do think that it does make a few very interesting points. And there are some words of wisdom scattered throughout this. And it is also interesting just from an indie film perspective, because it's a film that was made in 12 days. There's something to be said for that, because it is well done for what they were working with. Six and a half oranges in toilets out of 10. I said no, and honestly, I said that because I really felt like I was clock-watching for a lot of the movie, and I'm kind of left feeling that it was time I'm never going to quite get back. (laughs) Aside from Sylvester and Frasier showing up and being delightful, Claire Grogan showing up and looking like an absolute snack, and some actually quite decent shots, eh, this just really didn't do it for me, and I think three and a half stolen vintage sport cars I thought we weren't doing ratings, damn it. Not, right. You don't have to. I just wanted to say oranges in toilets again. <laughs> okay. With that, we are out of time. Next time, we will be back with our regularly scheduled episode. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening and have a good one. Merry Christmas. been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Anthony Williams, Riley Shrek, and myself, Julie Filipek. This bonus episode, Jesus Wants Me to Have Your Baby, was recorded on Tuesday, November 15th, 2022. If this is your first time listening, all of our previous episodes are available through your favorite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcasting app. That really does help the show. And always remember, when you are looking to get behind the bar, just put an orange in the toilet.